0: This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Good morning. Wow, I am so humbled and uh, happy uh, to be here at Christian Life Center today. And uh, Pastor Tom, Pastor Candy, thank you for your friendship and for uh, this this trust today to uh, to be here to speak to uh, the audiences here and those that are watching. Uh, just a moment ago, I told Pastor Tom, I said, I love the spirit of God in this church. If I lived in South Florida, he would be my pastor and this would be my church. Amen. Uh, I'm convinced in the short period of time that I've known your pastor that Uh, He is one of God's greatest and anointed leaders in the state of Florida, certainly in this city. And I know that I'm not here today because you all lack good preaching. You are blessed uh, each and every weekend by his leadership and by the love that he and Pastor Candy show to you. So thank you again for the opportunity to be here. The video gave you a little bit of an introduction about myself, but I'd like to tell you a little bit more before I get to the message and uh, there's a zip code in the city of Milwaukee, 53206. There's actually a documentary that was, uh, that was created, a video documentary about 53206, that's the actual name. That's where I was born. And uh, it has the distinction of being the highest black male incarceration rate in the nation. 62% of the African American males that live in that zip code are either in prison or have served time in prison. That zip code has the highest child infant mortality rate. It has the highest poverty rate per zip code and the highest black male unemployment. And I'm here to share with you a message of hope that I could have been another statistic. I could have been another uh, prisoner, another drug addict, or a young person just, just given to some of those, uh, some of those ills and evils but God and but a praying mother, amen. I think we ought to just give God praise for all the praying mothers and praying grandmothers. I wanna let you know there's hope because some of you all have some prodigal sons and daughters uh, that are yet coming into the faith of Jesus Christ. My mother prayed me into the kingdom of God and uh, she gave her life to Christ when I was 15 years old. And so from the age of 15 to 19, so when I gave my life to Christ at age 19, but for those four years, I became a drug addict in the sense that, not that I was taking in illegal drugs, but she was dragging me to church. So I became somewhat addicted to Jesus until I could no longer run from the call and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so for the next 35 or so years after finishing college, uh, I, I've led as a youth pastor and a senior pastor, as, as, as Tom, Pastor Tom has already mentioned, in the city of Milwaukee. Now, my city is probably not much different than South Florida or Broward County or any city here. Uh, we have some good things and we have some, some challenges. Uh, one of the humorous things I like to make note of with my city, and I'm sure pretty sure as you listen to me, you'll probably say, oh yeah, we have that here as well. In my city, there's a difference between McDonald's and Mickey D's. I don't know if you knew that. McDonald's is a totally different experience than going to Mickey D's. You know you're at a McDonald's when you drive in the drive-through and the speaker actually works. And there's a pleasant person on the other side of it that says, hello, welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order, please? And you say, well, yes, I'd like two cheeseburgers. I'd like a large order of fries and I'd like a chocolate milkshake. And they said, well, let me just make sure I have your order correct. You want two cheeseburgers, you want French fries, a large fry, and you want a chocolate shake. I say, yes, that's it. What, well, would you like me to supersize that shake for you? I say, oh yeah, sure, please do. They said, well, just one moment, I'll give you your total. It's gonna to be $8.52. Please drive around to the first window and someone will meet you there. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I drive around to the first window and there's somebody there with a smile and they greet me again and they take my money and they give me the correct change back. And they say, thank you for being here today. Would you please drive up to the next window and someone will have your order there. I drive up to the second window and they have my order in a bag and with a smiling face. They give me my milkshake. I put it in the seat next to me and I drive off as a happy customer. When I get to the first stoplight, the first thing I do is I put my hand in and I eat some of those hot french fries. Nothing like some hot french fries. You have just experienced McDonald's. Let me tell you when you know you're at a Mickey D's. You go to the drive-thru, and before you could even get into the drive-thru, there is a person with a, a spray bottle and a squeegee that wants to clean your windshield off for a few dollars. When you wave them away and you finally get to the, to the talk box, the box doesn't really work that well. What you hear is And I sit there for about 90 seconds to two minutes and then finally somebody comes along and says, go ahead. <laughs> Some of y'all are holding your head down because you've been to Mickey D's. I said, well, uh, yeah, I'd like uh, two cheeseburgers. A large order of fries and a chocolate shake. About 90 seconds of silence. They say drive through to the first window. They don't give me a a tally of how much it's going to cost me. I get no hello, thank you for coming to McDonald's. Just go ahead to the next window. I go up to the first window, there's nobody there. (laughs) I don't know what it's going to cost me. Finally, somebody comes to the first window, they take my my money, I get my change back, I drive up to the second window, and by then I'm just so frustrated and so impatient that I'm ready to get out of there. They give me my bag, I drive off, and again, I try to avoid hitting the man with the squeegee bottle (laughs) who's trying to clean my windshield. I just want to get out of there. I get to the first stoplight, I stick my hand in the bag and realize they've given me two burritos and instead of a chocolate shake, I got a hot, a cold coffee. You have just been to Mickey D's. Well, I'm sure Milwaukee is not the only place that has that experience. We're dealing with some, some very serious realities in our inner cities today. Whether it's the, the cities of Broward County or it's Minneapolis, Minnesota, where George Floyd was murdered, Or if it's Aurora, Colorado, where Elijah McClain, 23-year-old young man, was killed. Or Louisville, Kentucky, where Breonna Taylor lost her life senselessly. Or Baltimore, Maryland, where Freddie Gray was killed. It could happen anywhere. But we're dealing with some serious realities in our nation. And I believe that God has graced Christian Life Center for such a time as this. I believe that he's graced your pastor and you as people to be the ones to stand up and give light, life, and love in the midst of darkness. And I believe that God wants us to agree on something today. Can we agree that we are going to make it hard for people to go to hell in South Florida? Amen. Can we agree to that this morning? In the 35 years of my ministry and even the experience that we had when a young black male was killed in Milwaukee that happened three blocks from our church, which the video talked about, I've learned certain experiences that I wanna share with you. And I think that if we're gonna stand up and be hope dealers in the midst of this current crisis, actually we're dealing with two crises in America. We're dealing with the COVID crisis, but we're also dealing with a racial crisis. Both of them can infect and affect the lungs. The coronavirus, the reason you're wearing a mask is because you don't want to breathe something that's going to get the virus in your lungs. But let me just submit this to you today that if you are in America for more than, 10, for more than one hour, you've already ingested the virus of racism because it's in the air we breathe. It's in the very fabric and the DNA and the founding of our nation. And the church has been given a a, a command by God and the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to stand up and point the way to Jesus Christ. I want to submit to you five things that I think we we have to embrace if we're going to lead. First of all, we have to embrace long obedience. Long obedience is a term that was attributed to Eugene Peterson, who was the author of the Message Bible. Secondly, we have to embrace walking in unity with one another. Thirdly, we have to embrace being prayerful because nothing will happen without prayer. Fourthly, we have to embrace courageous leadership. We've got to get out of our comfort zone and we have to lead. And fifthly, we have to learn to dance the dance of love. Let me talk about each of these five things. First of all, long obedience. First Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that love suffers long. Another translation is that love is patient, it's long suffering. And long obedience simply means that the crisis that's happening in our nation today, this racial tension, it's not going to be solved overnight. God is not calling us to a a moment, he's calling us to a movement. He's calling us to step into something long term. He's calling us to be patient. He's calling us to plant the seed, to water the seed, to cultivate the harvest and then wait for the harvest and then do it all over again. Because these problems, they were not birthed overnight. They happened over a long period of time. I believe that America's inner cities are a result of the church literally fleeing our responsibility and our call to a certain people, black and brown people, and to places where they reside. And what we have today are called inner cities. And there's a scripture in Matthew chapter 13 that I think illustrates this. And Jesus is teaching his disciples what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he gives them a parable, he says in verse 24 that the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. The good seed are the people and the place. Verse 25 says, but that night as the workers slept, His enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. The enemy is Satan. Our battle is not one another. It's not flesh and blood, right? It's principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. The enemy came, planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. And when the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir... The field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds? They asked. Now, I believe that the, the workers are symbolic of the church. While we slept, the enemy came. While we slept, America's inner cities happened. And now we're finally awakening to this racial crisis and we're looking for a strategy, what should we do? And should we pull the weeds up? And the master says, no, you gotta have long obedience. You've gotta wait until the harvest comes. Let them both grow together, otherwise you will uproot the wheat. Wait until the harvest and then when the harvest comes, I will tell the harvester to sort out the weeds. That means that we gonna have to do some stuff that we haven't done before tie them in the bundles and burn them and put the weed into the barn. There's a second thing we must have, and that is unity. We have to walk together in unity. A football team is not unified because everybody is playing the same position. The quarterback is not blocking, is not running the ball. The quarterback has a certain role. A football team is unified because everybody is going to the same goal line. Everybody has the same purpose and goal in mind. It's the same way with a, with a band or with an orchestra. They're not in unity because they're all playing the same instrument, they're in unity because they're all playing the same song and they're all playing on the same note and in the same rhythm and the result of that is harmony, it's beautiful. And the same thing happens when the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, walks together in unity in spite our ethnic differences, in spite our gender differences, in spite our age or social class differences, we recognize that our commonality is the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're more thankful for the grace of God than we are proud of what we call race. (laughs) Amen. Unity is so powerful that in Genesis chapter 11, the Lord himself commended it. In verse one, it says, at at one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. And as the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and they settled there. And they began to say to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. And then they said, listen to the common language, (laughs) They're saying the same thing. They said, come, let us build a great city for us, for ourselves. With a tower that reaches into the sky, this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower and the people were building. And the Lord said, look, the people are unified. They're united and they all are speaking the same language, after this, nothing that, is, that they set out to do will be impossible for them. God commended their unity, even, they were, even though they were using it for a bad purpose. How much more good can we accomplish as followers of Christ in this county and in this region if we're united together. If we can discern that, that although we might have differences, we need to embrace our commonality in Christ. I believe that the sky is the limit if we can just tolerate the natural friction that occurs as a result of being in close proximity to somebody else. There's a natural friction that occurs when you walk together with anybody. And if you've been married more than two hours, you know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) Although you're united, there's this natural tension and friction of being in relationship. The husband leaves the toilet seat up, the wife wants the seat down. She wants the toilet paper folded to the front, he don't care how it's folded, whether it's front or back. He squeezes the toothpaste from the middle, she wants it squeezed from the back, from the bottom. There's this natural tension when you are trying to walk together in unity. And if we can just endure that and forbear one another in love, then we will truly bring salt and light to our world. There's a common enemy that we face, it's not one another. So we've gotta be committed to tearing down the idols of race and the idols of gender and the idols of skin color and even denominational idols so that we can lift Jesus Christ high. Let me give an illustration of this unity. In 2016 is when the riot and the death occurred just three blocks from our church. And I was senior pastor at that time and so like most pastors, I asked God for a theme or for a, a framework of what he prophetically wanted to do for the rest of that year. I did that early in the year and I declared 2016 the year of the surge. S-U-R-G-E. A surge is a sudden wave. It's a sudden increase. It's like a, it's like a tidal wave. What, what, what we're experiencing in the world right now is the surge of the coronavirus. And I believe that what was going to happen back in 2016, we were going to have this surge of souls, of people coming into the kingdom of God. We declared it as a surge. And then on August 13, 2016, Seville Smith was shot and killed in our neighborhood just three blocks from our church. I'll never forget that day. It was the day that I had officiated a wedding of a member of our church. And after the wedding, my wife and I were sitting at a reception at the table, and all of a sudden, I started getting text messages about 3 o'clock in the afternoon saying the police have just established a armored vehicle command post on our church parking lot. And then I quickly went to social media to try to find out what was happening. And I start seeing that crowds of people were gathering down in that neighborhood by our church. After I got home from the reception, I turned the news on and every station, including national news, CNN, was reporting that a riot was occurring in the city of Milwaukee, much like what what we saw in Minneapolis much like what happens around the cities here in South Florida. And as I watched, I was in a state of shock. I was like, Lord, as a leader, what am I gonna do now? Two years prior to this happening, I was led by God to assemble a group of pastors, white pastors, Latino, Hispanic pastors, African American pastors, Caribbean pastors, let's come together and let's be more committed to the big sea church than we are to our own little sea churches. Two years before the riot occurred, we, be, we made a commitment that we're gonna to walk together in unity, protect and endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and seek the good of our city. So that when this, this virus manifested with fires and, and with death and with violence, that next day we decided we were going down to that site and every day and every night we would go down to the site of the riot and we'd bring God's peace and God's presence. And because our net, our network was already formed, a network of unity, we were able to spread a blanket of peace that extinguished the flames literally and spiritually. If we're more committed to unity than we are to our own fleshly goals, God will continue to allow the surge to flow. I I was believing that the surge was was gonna come into the church, but God said, no, the surge is outside your door, it's down there where the riot is. The surge literally came into the church and swept us out of the walls of the church, down the street to where God was doing a work. He's trying to deliver us into our destiny. Number one, we have to have long obedience. Number two, we've gotta be committed to walking in unity. Number three, we have to pray. You have to have a commitment to prayer. Before you go into a riot scene, you better be prayed up. (laughs) While you're there in the midst of that, you need to be praying. And after you leave, you've got to just be committed to a life of prayer. And that's what we did personally, but we also did it corporately. We gathered at our church campus every night at six o'clock for prayer, and then we walked down to the scene of the riots. We, know, we, we knew that we needed the power of the Holy Spirit. We needed the revelation knowledge that only he possesses. And we needed, we needed the ability to speak with the tongue of the learned, anointed by the Spirit of God. Number four, as you go, it simply means that you're manifesting courageous leadership. God didn't take the fear away. We just simply did it scared. That's what courageous leadership is. Leadership is, 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 is truly demonstrated not in times of peace and ease, but in times of chaos and crisis because it's in those times and seasons that whatever is on the inside of you is going to come out. You know what we're really seeing in our nation today in the midst of this, this coronavirus, we're seeing people's character. We're seeing who they really are. We're seeing what their priorities really are. But we're also seeing that in the midst of the racial virus as well. The best of people and the worst of people are coming out in the midst of chaos. But it's those who are anointed by the Spirit of God who have been called to stand up and give courageous leadership. So we simply said we've got a choice. We can either lead, follow, or we can get out of the way. But God didn't call us to step aside. He called us to step into the dark and the dangerous places. Let me tell you what happened when we got down to the riot scene the first night. After we prayed, after we walked in unity, we walked from our parking lot down to the riot, and God anointed me to be the leader. I didn't ask to be the leader, but pastors were calling me up saying, hey, what are you going to do? Because whatever you do, we're going to be with you. Maybe it was because our church was the closest to the, to the riot. When we got down to the riot scene, there was this large green space where crowds were gathering and the police were kind of on the perimeter. And we walked down there singing and praying and, and chanting and carrying a banner about peace. No Jesus, no peace. <laughs> and when we got there... I started smelling some familiar aromas. Now I wanna confess to you, I've not always been saved. You remember I told you I gave my life to Christ at age 19. So in my BC days, there was a small season of life that I experimented with certain pharmaceutical ingredients. And the aroma became familiar to me that night as I stood on the green space And I I told my my team that was with me because when you go out in prayer, you also need to go out with wisdom. So I took security with me and also took Smith and his cousin Wesson with me just in case. But as I was out in that green space, I started smelling something that almost smelled like a skunk. In fact, I thought I had stepped into some, some dog poo and, and I was looking around and, and one of the younger brothers who had, who had been saved, you know, only a couple of years, he said, oh, Bishop, that's not, that's not dog poo, that's, that's weed. In fact, they call that stuff skunk, it smells so strong. And then I started feeling pretty good. I, not only was I feeling the Holy Ghost, but I was feeling another ghost just from the environment. I think if I would have taken a drug test, I might have failed it because of the contact in the area. But as we were there, we knew that's where God called us to be. Because God was inviting us to take another step, and that was to learn how to dance the dance of love. We knew that obedience couldn't wait. We knew that we had to go out in unity. We knew we had to be prayed up. We knew we had to stand up and lead and follow. We couldn't get out of the way. But we didn't know that God was calling us to learn how to dance. I'm convinced that God is not only in the places of unity, as Psalm 133 tells us how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, for it's there that God pours out his blessing, the oil. God not only pours out his oil in, in those places, but God pours out his oil and his presence in places of crisis and chaos. He dances over those places. And as we, as we were down at that, at that place, I realized this is where we needed to be because we ran into prodigals. Prodigals. Some who had had been brought up in the church but who were dropped along the way and who were totally done with church. We, We ran into some atheists. We ran into lesbians. We ran into people who were unemployed and some who were employed but not legally. We ran into people who were probably more strapped than some of the security team that came with us but we knew that God was pouring out his oil. It's in those places of crisis and chaos that God runs into while everybody else is running out. He runs to the prodigal sons and daughters. He runs to the lepers. He runs towards the well where the woman is who's been broken by five relationships and now she's in her sixth relationship and it's not fulfilling her. And he comes and he pours out his living water in those places. See, God dances in the place of crisis, just like He did on the day of creation. The Bible says that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the water. He hovered over the chaos, He he hovered over the disorder, and He brought about His order. He brought about beauty where there had been such a sense of evil and ugliness. The Bible is filled with stories of dancing. There's Miriam and the women taking their tambourines. Once they crossed the Red Sea and on the other side, they broke out into spontaneous dance. See, God doesn't need trained, choreographed dancers in order to move. He uses common, everyday, ordinary people like me and you. He uses, he uses a David who broke out in spontaneous dance, just, just twirling about as the ark of God was brought back into the city. Childish, creative movements that really those who are religious, like his wife, look out of their window and despise him, how he danced and just embarrassed himself among the women of Israel. But no, God's into the dance. I told you I have not always been saved and I remember the time when I would occasionally go to, we call them quarter parties because they were in a house and usually had a red light in the basement and you paid a quarter and you went down into the basement. Am I the only one that had that experience? Okay, nobody gonna tell the truth. I'll just just take it, okay? I'll be the only one today. Some of y'all looking all sanctified, like I don't know what he's talking about. And I never, I was never much of a dancer. Now I'm black, I just got a little bit of rhythm, but I had enough rhythm. And when the music played, I could kind of stay in one place. And I was cool. You know, I might spin around, but I ain't going too far. I know you all who are Caribbean, you probably break it down, but I didn't have that much rhythm. But God is inviting us to dance. He don't want you to be trained, he just wants you to be available. He wants you to be obedient. He wants you to walk in unity. He wants you to walk in prayer. He wants you to be courageous and trust him. He's dancing in these broken places. It reminds me of the lyrics of this song. You dance over me while I am unaware. You sing all around but I never hear the sound. Lord, I'm amazed by you. How you love me, how wide, how deep, how great is your love for me. God loves people and he loves places. The only two times in scripture that Jesus wept, he wept over a friend and he wept over a place. He wept over Lazarus at his tomb, and he wept over the city of Jerusalem. And I'm telling you, God is dancing over the cities today. And and, and Henry Blackaby said that we should never ask God to bless what we're doing. We should find out where God is moving and join him there. That's learning the dance of love. There's There's a Greek word that describes this dance of love, and it's the Greek noun perichoresis. Perichoresis. It's really two different words. It's the word peri where we get the word around from. And it's the word caresis. The prefix peri plus caresis. Caresis is where we get the word choreography. And the word perichoresis, it really describes the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They dance the dance of love around each other. There's no competition, there's unity, there's mutual submission, there's agreement, one is taking the lead and then the other one backs away and when they're done, they tag off and the other one begins to step in. The father so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. The son gave his life and when he ascended up to heaven and was seated at the right hand, he then poured out the Holy Spirit. There's this this dance of love. There's no competition between them. And I'm telling you, God is dancing over the cities today. He's dancing in this place today and he's inviting us to join him in the dance. And when you get into the dance of love, I've got good news that even white men get rhythm. (laughs) We've got to join him in the dance. Let me share with you some practical ways that we can do that. When we show up, We gotta show up with a motive to, first of all, love, and then listen, and then lament. Because when we showed up at the scene of that riot, the young men who were angry, they said to me, aren't you that pastor from that church up the street? I said, yes. Everybody else kinda took a step back from me. (laughs) Well, Lord, this is it. I'm ready to meet you if, if this is my time. Courageous leadership. I said, yeah, that's me. They said, well, I got some questions for you. First of all, why are you here? Are you here because the news media is flying their helicopters and reporters are on the outside wanting to get a 15-second soundbite? What's your motive? I said, you know what? We're here to love, to listen, to lament, to learn, and then lead together because we love this city and we love you that's why we're here okay that's good okay we got more we got some more questions for you where have you been we've been out here in the inner cities for years and we've driven by your church and we see the park we see the parking lot full we see you walking in with your sunday church clothes on and driving back to your nice houses where have you been you see the crime. You see the, the prison numbers going up. You see the unemployment. Where has the church been? I said, you know what? You're right, but we're here now. And that's the third question. He said, will you be here tomorrow? In other words, they're saying, is this just a moment for you? Are you stepping into a movement? Are you stepping in law long obedience? I said, yeah, we'll be here tomorrow. And we were. And we were there the next day and the next day and the next day. And for the next two years, we were at that park called Sherman Park every Saturday, building relationships with the families and the young people and grilling hot dogs and and loving on people, whether or not, whether they came to our church or not. Then they asked me a fourth question. They said, why are you allowing the police to use your parking lot as a command post because they're harassing us? Now they went to Medvin when they started talking about our parking lot because I was glad they were there. Because I was like, y'all can burn everything else up, but you ain't going to burn our church <laughs> I didn't tell them that though. But I realized that something was at stake. We were trying to build trust. We were trying to build authentic relationship. And all they could see is that we were allied with the police. Now we have some great law enforcement officers and first responders in our nation and in our cities. But we've got some that are are not in our best interest, just like we have some great pastors and some great missionaries, but then we got some that, I don't know how they got their credentials. (laughs) But I told them, I said, you know what, you're right. They'll be gone tomorrow. That night after we left the spot, I called the police chief and and I told him, I said, you know, I realize what you all are trying to do. I personally appreciate you being on our parking lot, but we're trying to do something that's greater here this long term. Would you find another command post and still keep an eye on our building at the same time? Don't get me wrong now. (laughs) He said, sure, I understand. And the next night they were gone. And so when we went back to the site of the riot, the young crowd said, I see the police are not there tonight. He said, that was, that, was a, that was an honest move that you made, Bishop. We appreciate you doing that. And from that moment on, we we're able to, to tear down the walls and begin to build bridges of communication. I believe, Church, that we're in a moment like that again. And we've had many moments before. We had it during slavery. We had it when, when Native Americans were pushed off of land. We had it during slavery. We had it during uh, Reconstruction years. We had it during the Jim Crow years. We had it during the Civil Rights era. We have it even constantly during the, the debate about immigration. And once again, it's coming back face to face to the church and God says, Church, will you just awaken and realize that the enemy is not flesh and blood? But there's an enemy that sowed wheat weeds among the wheat and would you stand up and exegete and speak in truth into this moment so that the world will know that you are united and that you have love for one another, that the Father sent the Son and I have sent you? And, 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 we, and when, we, when we stand up in that moment, there are several things that we'll do and I believe Jeremiah 29 illustrates those for us. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to the captives at Christian Life Center. That's right, you are captives. You are captive Christians. God has you here in South Florida for such a time as this. He's telling you to put down roots because you're not buried here, you're planted here. There's a difference between being buried and planted. They're both under the dirt, but that which is dead is not bearing any fruit. That which is planted is bringing forth life. God says, you are my captives. You are in this place for such a time as this. And this is what I want you to do in verse five. I want you to build homes. And I want you to plan to stay. I want you to plant gardens and I want you to eat the food they produce. I want you to marry and have children and then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. As the city goes, so goes the suburb. As the city goes, so goes the rural area. As the city goes, so goes the state. As the city goes, so goes the nation. As the city goes, so goes the world. You are here for such a time as this. And we need a new theology of the city. We need to stop praying, Lord, take me out of the city. And you need to be, realize that you are essential workers. You are first responders. While people might be trying to flee out of it, we're going to run into it. God says, put down roots. Jeremiah was told to tell the people to build houses. Building a house speaks about ownership as opposed to renting. There's nothing wrong with renting a house or renting an apartment or renting a condo or a townhouse. But when you rent something and you don't own it, you're not responsible to take care of it the same way. When I got to the Fort Lauderdale airport yesterday, I went to Hertz rental car and I picked up a car. I don't own it, I'm gonna put gas in it, I'm gonna take it back to them, I'm not gonna wash it, I'm not gonna change the wiper blades, <laughs> I'm not gonna take it to the repair shop, why? Because I'm just renting and it's not mine. God says you need to recognize the city is yours. Take ownership of this city, build houses, Plant gardens and eat the fruit there. That speaks about being committed to the process of making disciples. When you put your seed into the ground, you don't get to eat right away. You gotta wait. You gotta water it. You gotta cultivate it. You gotta pull up some weeds. You gotta keep it in the sun. And that's what God is saying be committed to the process of multi generational ministry. Raise up sons and daughters. Give your sons to be married and your daughters to be married and have grandchildren and multiply. I believe there's an anointing and a grace upon these pastors and upon this church to multiply in South Florida. He says, Take wives. Take wives. I've got one wife, only had one wife. Wives are different than girlfriends. I give my check to my wife. Right? We own stuff together with my wife. I know young people today are doing this so different. <laughs> they, they act like they married. You know, they got, the, they got the, the milk without buying the cow. Excuse me for that analogy, but I think you all understand what I'm talking about. Wives are different than girlfriends. Girlfriends are interchangeable. Wives are till death do us part. God says you got to have a mentality that I'm in this thing as a movement, not a moment. when they were asking us those questions at the the site of the riot, it was really a moment of nakedness for me and for the church. Because they were asking questions that were not religious, but they were questions that were just stripping away any sense of religiosity and anything that we hide behind in terms of our pride, our spiritual pride. And as I stood there before them naked, what I was really forced to do was to show them my scars Yeah, we're the church. I know we haven't been here before, but we're here right now. No, we're not here for a 60-second soundbite. We're not here for fame or fortune. We're here because we want to love, lament, listen and learn, and then lead together. See, the church has many scars. We've got many flaws. We're divided by race. We're divided by gender. We're divided by denomination, but we're still the church just here we are look at our scars there's a power in showing people your scars and your scars are your testimony revelation tells us we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony You're showing your scars i was raped i was i was sexually abused but but you know what god has taken my pain and given me a platform i was homeless i was i was bankrupt but look at me now There's power in showing people your scars. After Jesus was resurrected, he went back to his disciples and first time Thomas was not there with him in the room. Jesus came back a second time. Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see for myself. Unless I see his scars because I remember how they pierced his hands with nails, pierced his feet and pierced his side and put a crown of thorns upon his head. Those things will leave scars. Jesus said, Thomas has to see my scars so he can believe. And he showed up a second time and said, Thomas, behold, my scars. And when Thomas saw his scars, he said, my Lord and my God. People in South Florida are waiting to see your scars, CLC. And this is a moment and this is an hour that God has anointed you for such a time as this. Our nation is so divided, and this church has the spirit of unity and the spirit of God upon it with such a strong degree, I'm telling you that anything is possible. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.